Hey, what's up? What's up, Wildcats? Come on, you guys can do better than that. Well, listen, it is awesome to be with you. Uh, my name is Julian Newman. I am um, a pastor from Grand Rapids, Michigan, a tribe church, okay? And um, I'm originally from California, so I'm going to tell you what. This, uh, this cold thing that's going on in the Midwest is not agreeing with your boy right here. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Um, today, I want to um, share some thoughts with you that I believe speak to one of the most critical conversations that are happening on the planet Earth, and that is how we get along together. So I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 9, we're going to get into um, this text, and I want to share some thoughts with you that I hope um, make you think, provoke you to action, and cause you to see the world a different way. In Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went off onto the roof to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time, saying, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they were called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one that you're looking for. Why have you come? The men said, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. And the next day, Peter went along with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Skipping to Acts chapter 11, verse 3, it says, And they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Lord Jesus, help me to communicate your ideas in a way that blesses your sons and your daughters. Amen. I want to start out with a story. I am a father of four daughters. Yes, you heard that right. Four daughters. That means that I have been invited into an estrogen universe. <laughs> and one of the things about being a father is the importance of investing in your daughters. So one of the things I've done over the course of my fathering of daughters is I've had daughter-daddy dates. I had one yesterday. With my 15-year-old, we went and we went to IHOP, that's where she wanted to go, and we went to see Aquaman, and she loved it even though the film is not that good. <laughs> but when my oldest, who's now a senior at George Washington University, was a very little girl, we were going out 
to have a daddy-daughter date. And because I'm a big spender and I got it like that, we were going to Wendy's. And one of the things that you have to think about when you're a father of daughters, when you have a three-and-a-half, four-year-old, I think she was about that age, you have to think about something very significant, and that is the bathroom situation. And when you are about to leave, when you have a three-and-a-half or four-year-old child, you ask them a very significant question before you leave the building of the house, and it is, do you have to go to the bathroom? And the little kid, because at that point little kids are trying to exercise their own independence, they always say, no, I don't have to go to the bathroom. Then we as parents come back and say, are you sure? And then the kid gets an attitude because you've asked them again. So she said, I don't have to go and went to Wendy's and we're hanging out. We're having an extraordinarily cool time. We're connecting, we're vibing, we're interacting with one another. And our date is coming to a conclusion. We've had our biggie fries, we've had our lemonade, we've got our, 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 our nuggets and what have you, and everything is cool. And then my little girl says something that brings fear to her daddy's heart, and it is, Daddy, I have to go to the bathroom. And when you're in that situation as a father, you appeal to the child and you say, can you hold it? And the kid always says, no, I can't hold it. And I'm thinking, we're not that far from the house. Can you just hold on? But she had to look in her eye that says, Daddy, I can't. So I said, okay, here we go. So we went into the bathroom. And I was told by mom that you go into the bathroom, there's a protocol number one. Protocol number one is to look for a liner because we want to keep everything sanitized and everything clean. So you look for a liner and you put it on the toilet so she's clean and sanitized. But in the event that you look for a liner, there isn't one. you got to go to protocol number two. And protocol number two is build your own. <laughs> now this is a place of higher learning, but I would say there's probably not a class, a certification to how to build a toilet liner. And I've never been to a class like that myself. So I was looking to try to put together the toilet liner because I wasn't a toilet liner. I'd never been trained. I'd never been through a training. I'd never been to a discipleship of how to put together a toilet liner. And I'm under pressure right now because I got this little kid right here that's about to explode. And I said, oh, what am I going to do? I felt like Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt, and Mission Impossible diffusing a bomb. What am I going to do? And as I put it together and the toilet tissue was all on the, the ground and I decide, I have a moment, an epiphany, I have an inspiration, it is this, the aerial bathroom plan. I decided to pick up my daughter and I said, I'm going to count to three. And when I say go, you're going to go. And there's a point sometimes when you're a parent and you look at your kid and even though they're little, they're looking at you like, are you sure about this, Dad? <laughs> so I picked up my little lady and I had her like this because I understand gravity. <laughs> and when I say go, she's going to go. One, two, three, go. Go. 
She didn't go because she wasn't sure. Are you sure about this, Dad? No, I got this. It's all right. I got it. It's all good. One, two, three. Bam! She starts to go. Now, I told you that I understood gravity. I've been to physics class. I expected to go bam, bam. That's what I expected, right? But it didn't go bam, bam. It went bam, bam, and bam, and bam. She had drunk a lot of lemonade, and she peed all over her daddy, and she kept it up. And after she was finished, and I'm soaked in pee, my daughter says, Daddy, are you okay? Now here's the question, why did that happen? It happened because I made some assumptions. I made some assumptions based on an experience that I never had. See, I'd never been a four-year-old little girl. I didn't understand how the piping and the wiring was put together. And as a result, there was a huge mess. See, I think that we're living in a moment that we're making assumptions based on experience that we've never had. See, I believe that God has called each and every one of us to be culture makers, to be people of influence. I, I believe that when I read in the Bible, where it says in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that Jesus really means that. When the Bible says that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, I believe that Jesus meant that. I believe that when I read in Revelation chapter 7, every tribe, every tongue, every nation when I read in Isaiah chapter 62, and it says, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations, I believe that Jesus believes that. And I believe that he wants us to believe it too. We're living at a very significant moment in the human story, specifically the American story. You and I are living in a moment of great conflict and polarization. It's political, it's economic, it's social, it's racial. And here we are. See, I believe that we're in a moment of identity crisis. Because though God has called us to be agents of heaven, too often we find ourselves manifesting earth. I don't know if you recognize this. But this is not a new problem. There's a book in the Bible that we just read about the book of Acts. I like to call it the book of action. And in this moment, God speaks to his son, Peter. And Peter, after a time and a journey, he goes up to pray. And he prays and he begins to call out to God and God brings a vision to his life. And he says, 
after he shows him all these things, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, I can't do it, God. It's unclean. It happens three times. And Jesus, God says to him, do not call what I've made clean unclean. See, there was a thing that Peter had in his heart, and it was bias. It was prejudice. Some would argue even racist. When he saw his non-Jewish brothers and sisters are being less than. We, we see this when he has the encounters with those that are Gentiles, not Jews, and he's having conversation with them. See, I want you to look for a moment or think about Peter's resume. Peter was a guy who spent three years with Jesus. Peter was a guy that walked on water. Peter was a guy who walked, watched Jesus do miracles. P Peter was a guy that was on the mountain of transfiguration. Peter was a guy that watched Jesus die on the cross. Peter was a guy that walked into the tomb. Peter was a guy that saw the, the, uh, the resurrected Jesus. He, he was a guy that saw Jesus go back to heaven. Peter was a guy that preached on the first day and 3,000 folks got saved. Peter was a guy that was in the upper room. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, he was right there. I would go far, so far to say that you and I don't have a resume as cool as Peter's was when it comes to walking with Jesus, and he still had issues, and I believe that we got issues, and I believe if we don't address our issues and deal with our stuff, the world is going to be poor as a result of it. See, God has called uh, you and I to be bridge builders. God has called us to be healers, inspirers, and dreamers. God has called us to be miracle workers. In this moment where it seems like everybody's on this side of the deal or on that side of the situation, Jesus is calling us to another place. There's a story in the Bible about a woman that was caught in adultery and she was wrong and they threw her before Jesus and they said, because this woman has sinned, let's stone her. And Jesus doesn't say anything. He just is writing on the ground. Jesus was cool like that. He always knew what to do and what to say or not to say anything. And after writing on the ground, he turns to the folks with stones in their hands and he says, you who is without sin, Cast the first stone. And after a while, they started dropping her stones and they were all gone. And this woman that had been snatched out of her bed, she had been in this compromising situation. I'm sure she was ashamed. Jesus turns to the woman. He says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, one side of the situation was to stone this woman because of her sin. Another side of the situation was it's all good, don't worry about it. 
But Jesus doesn't take either position. He stops and he says, hey, I don't condemn you. But I'm going to stand in the third place. And the third place is, I'm not going to condemn you, but I'm also going to let you know that you're leading and moving your life in a direction that is breaking you. And I've come to heal you. I've come to restore you. I come to bless you. I came to redeem you. Do you know that Jesus Christ is not a Democrat or Republican? Do, do you know that Jesus is not an American? Do, do you know that Jesus is not a liberal or conservative? Do you know that? Because it's important for us to recognize that we are not to be rooted in this thing called earth, but we are to be manifestors of this thing called heaven. God has called us to be broken over our brother or our sister. No matter what color they are, what their last name is, whether they pray in a mosque, whether they're at a gate at the border, whether they're undocumented, whether they got the hat to the back, whether they're walking with a little lean. See, the thing that has broken my heart in this moment is because I see us as representatives of heaven manifesting earth as if we're earthlings like everybody else. See, I don't know if you know this, when you said yes to Jesus, that puts you in a different family. That puts you in a different context. That puts you in a different environment. The, the Bible says that he has, we are seated with him in heavenly places. Do, do you know that you and I are citizens of heaven? Do you know that the church is in an embassy of heaven here on earth? Do you recognize that? See, that was the thing that God was saying to his boy Peter. Peter, you got to recognize. You have been calling people unclean. And what I made clean, you cannot all call unclean and still be right with me. Who's unclean to you? Who's unclean to you? Is it the people that have that last name or live that way or dress like that? Who's unclean to you? Because I believe that God wants to do something amazing in the church that resides in America. We pray and we talk about revival. We, we talk about salvation. We, we talk about cities being turned upside down like it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 6. Those that have come and turned the world upside down have come here too. Wouldn't it be amazing if the world was said about those that named the name of Jesus Christ? That they're so full of love. They're so full of hope. They're so full of miracles and healings and impact and power that they've turned the world upside down. They're singing a song of healing. They're singing a song of hope. They're singing a song of power. When I read in the Bible, they describe Paul as being so powerful and so contagious. They said he was like a sickness. They said he's like a virus. And when I think about how the world sees us more often than not, they see us at a sickness.
a virus that corrodes and corrupts, that uses Jesus' name as a mask for racism and hatred. And see, we know better. And we can do better. We know better. We can do better. You know that there's no such thing, according to the kingdom, a white church, a black church, a Latino church, an Asian church. There's only one. Do, do you know that we're more alike than we are different? And that race or races is really not real? There's only one race, the human race. And though races has power, it's a social, not a biological construct. Do you understand that? When we, when we talk about changing the world and, and blessing the nation, we have to understand some things. So we have to get into some uncomfortable places. We have to get into some spots and some positions that are going to make us feel the heat. In Proverbs it says, much food is in the fallow ground or the uncultivated land of the poor. But because of injustice, injustice, there's waste. Do you know the breakthrough that you're praying for? The thing that you're looking for in your life is in those places in your heart where there's barbed wire and there's old tires. And it's all rocky and it's all ugly. And we don't want to go there. That's where Jesus wants you to go, wants me to go. That's where the Holy Spirit wants us to be because our breakthrough is there. Can we go deeper? There's this phrase called privilege, and we wrestle with it, especially when we put white in front of it. And that phrase bothers people, gets people upset. What I've come to recognize and know is that people don't understand what that means. So let me explain to you what it means. White privilege is connected to a system that is centuries old that said if you were this color, you had access and you had privileges and you had things that can happen to you. And if you were not, you couldn't. You and I, none of us invented that. None of us were there when it was all put together and constructed. But it's real. Let me say it another way. I have male privilege. As a man, I have access that my daughters do not have. For the female leaders in this room... For those of you that feel called to preach and pastor and release the word of God, because you are a female, you do not have some of the privilege that I have just because I was born a man. When I came here today, Jennifer gave me a bottle of water. Do you know that you and I have water privilege? And if you've ever been to a third world country, you recognize that that privilege is a real thing. And, and that bottle of water that you came here with 
would be maybe the most valuable thing in the village. But you didn't think about it. You just enjoyed it. See, privilege is one of those things that when you got it, you can't see it. It's invisible to those that possess it. I don't think about being a man and having male privilege because I got it. If I'm, I'm, I'm Caucasian, I don't think about having white privilege because I have it. When you grab that water bottle and you came in, you didn't think about being privileged because it's just a part of your world. See, I find people trying to say they don't have privilege when they have it. See, as a man, I'm not going to deny the privilege that I possess. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invest it. And let me give you an example of somebody that did exactly that. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore you've had an encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then let make my joy complete and being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by making the very nature a servant, by being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that is in, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He had heavenly privilege. And he divested himself of that heavenly privilege and he invested it in us. And as a result of his investment, each and every one of us are here today. If God has given you a platform of influence, do not deny it, but use it. One of the things I've come to recognize as I'm having conversations with my daughters is that they give me the opportunity to see things that I didn't see before. Dad, did you see this? Or Dad, did you think about that? And often Daddy isn't thinking about any of that stuff. But what happens often is Daddy doesn't see it, but my daughters will say, um, you know, Dad, could you, uh, could you send me some, could you cash out me some money? Could you hook me up because I got this going on? Last night, I went with my daughter. She just got a job as a lifeguard, and he had the fingerprint, and they asked, well, who, where's your payment? And she turned and was just looking right at me. See, I have the privilege and the possession of the resources. My daughters have the perspective that I don't have. Without their perspective, my privilege of having possessions and resources don't matter as much. But it's when their perspective 
is the married to my fatherly privilege, some powerful can happen. If you are here today and you have privilege, don't deny it. Invest it. Your investment is transformative. When we have this conversation about race and racism in America and this, that, and the other in the church, a lot of my white brothers and sisters say, you know what? I hear you. I got you. That's cool. I'm out. And I'm not talking physically out, but they feel emotionally out, like I don't have anything to offer. And that would be wrong. Because all of us have something to contribute. And if you have privilege as a result of your station, I need you to invest it. I need you to use it. I need you to be empowered with it. Let me tell you why that's so important. Because Jesus said that at the end of time, he separated the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And he said, hey, guys, turn to the goats. You aren't down with me because when I was broken, you didn't help me. When I was in the lockup, you didn't visit me. When I had no clothes, you didn't clothe me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was hurting, you didn't look in my direction. And they say, you know what? Oh, my word. Jesus, 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 when were you hungry? When were you in the lockup? When were you unclothed? When were you cold and shaking and shivering? Where were you, Jesus? He said, when you didn't do it unto the least of these, you didn't do it unto me. And he said to the folks on his right hand, he says, you know what? Thank you for what you did. Well, what do you mean? When you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. At one point, you and I are going to stand before the king of kings and lord of lords. We're going to stand in a judgment moment. The Bible says it's the judgment seat of Christ. It's not a salvation judgment, but it is an assessment judgment. And I want the Lord to say to me when I come to that moment, Julian Newman, you gave it all. You did your best. You weren't perfect, but you did your best. And what I believe that God wants to say to each and every person here is that you did your best. And whether somebody, his last name was Santiago, whether somebody was a migrant worker, an undocumented, whether they prayed in a mosque or they had a theology that does not align itself with Jesus Christ in my Bible that I read, God has called me to love them, to pray for them, and bring Jesus to them. That is a that's a controversial statement in the world that we live because we're trying to make America great again. We're trying to do this thing over here. But when we stand before the king, he knows what is right. And in the words 
of Abraham when the God, the judge of all the earth, do right. And what I want to challenge you here today, Wildcats, what I want to challenge you today, sons and daughters of the Most High King, what I want to challenge you today, world changers and culture makers, God has called you and I to have a different spirit. God has called you and I to be of a different sort. Because that is what revolutionaries have come to do. I want you to stand on your feet. I apologize for my intensity, but I'm on fire with this. Amen. Jesus, we come to you as we sang earlier that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. God, we can conquer, Lord God, anything. We can conquer anything that is manifesting and coming in our direction. God, you are greater than polarization. You're greater than a party spirit. You're greater, Lord God, than liberal conservative. You're greater than racism and division and segregation and discrimination and all the craziness that we see on a regular basis. We pray for our brothers and sisters made in your divine image and where they have been named unclean in our hearts. We repent and say, Lord, forgive us. Change us, heal us, transform us. And I believe it was the words of Wesley that said, Lord, set me on fire and let the world watch me burn. Set us on fire with your love. And Lord God, let the world be warmed as a result.